Hello, everybody, and thank you, Janet Lee, for those seasonal songs. Wow, what a choice, what a selection, and what a style of presentation. Thank you again. And hello, everybody out there. Yes, this is another day, and we are closing in on 2013. We are getting close to New Year's Day. New Year's Eve, and then New Year's Day. And then we will be in 2014. Wow. Well, this is December 29th, 2013. This broadcast will conclude the last broadcast of the series of Analog with Angels. Today's broadcast is part 26, and I have elected to call it the battle of the star angels. I pray as requested by God and revealed by God that every word of this message will be imbued with healing to the listeners as regards their nervous systems. I pray that the healing of many, many listeners will take place. I want to read to you what I'm going to call the scripture of the broadcast. Jeremiah 33, 3. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer you. And show me great and mighty things. Now listen to this. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Wow. This is the treat of the moment. The promise from God that if you call on God, he will answer, and he will show Great and mighty things, not trivial, great and mighty. Great, having dimension to it, mighty, having strength to it, and power, and things which you do not already know. Well, the most important thought for today that we are dealing with here is the preservation of a believable Bible. There is nothing of higher magnitude to ingenerate into your mind and heart. The Bible is the foundation for the revelation of the Holy Manifest book revealed to me by Gabriel, the archangel of the cherubim angels. The Bible is the portal to the revelation that the name of Jesus Christ is a name above all names. And the only name given among humankind, the only name given among humankind, whereby a person may receive salvation to be saved. Why am I talking about this preservation? Why am I talking about a believable Bible? Because for some long time, 
the Bible has been under siege, being attacked by the fallout of almost every level of investigation as regards this infallibility. And there is presently a hot ongoing war regarding this assault of major magnitudes I am calling the Battle of the Star Angels. Wow. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Here's a scripture we talk about a lot. Some of you know it by heart. But have you applied it in its truest sense? We want to talk a little deeper into it. Ephesians 6.12 For we, that includes you, wrestle, I hope it includes you, not against flesh and blood. Now that's not where the war is. The war isn't a physical flesh and blood war, but against principalities. So when it says but against, then what this does is it basically repeats we wrestle like this for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but we wrestle against principalities against powers against rulers of darkness and we're not talking a day and night kind of darkness but we're talking a spiritual darkness against wickedness in high places now let's look at the count let's look at the list Do you understand, first off, what wrestle, to wrestle? You know, that's a, that's a tug of war. That's, that's using your strength. That's using your agility. And God is saying, don't waste your time with all the flab and the gungo of trying to debate in the human flesh realm. Because the real war is against principalities, and we have to wrestle. Now, we know that that's possible because we know that Jacob wrestled with the angel. So there is a very spiritual place. It's usually a very serious moment of confrontation in which you are wrestling with a man manifested or, let's say, materialized, but spiritual demonstration of spirituality. And number one, you're going to wrestle with principalities. Well, principalities are usually archangels. And the word prince goes along with that in a very big way. So you have to be willing to wrestle against principalities. Well, that is not unusual because we see in several cases where Michael the Archangel in the 12th chapter of Daniel stands up for the people. We see in the book of Matthew and other Gospels how that Gabriel was involved bringing the message to the human human persons about the virgin birth. So we can and do have the authorization to deal directly with with even the the prince princes of the host the principalities uh, 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 both of 
the God side and of the devil's, Satan's side. We have the right to come against them, to charge them, to open our mouth and charge them and make a spiritual and legal case against them. It says, and against the powers, which means their capability to damage, their capability to do all the the miracles and the impressions and and uh, and the bolsterings that they do, we can come against those powers. And then the rest, another part of the list, against rulers, we can come against those powers as they are involved in their possession of leaders and rulers who are caught up without some of them even totally understanding or knowing it in the spiritual darkness of their minds. And then, beyond those people who are just, you know, doing things that are not right but are not fully comprehensive of it, are comprehending it, also against the spiritual wickedness in high places. There is spiritual wickedness, ladies and gentlemen, not just in the gutters, not just in the brothels, not just in the sewer camps of mentality. But there is spiritual wickedness, wickedness in high places. That means we've already covered the rulers. That means there are <clears throat> camps of angels just like there are camps. There are camps of bad angels just like there are camps of good angels. We know how the Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps around about us. And that basically is representing a singular plural. And we can know that there's going to be in the counterpart of it the opposite force, the opposite entities. And as on the one side there is righteousness, on the other side there is wickedness. And we have the right to wrestle against that too. There's a time that God's people have to put their foot down and make claims. Their badge is Jesus Christ. Their right is Jesus Christ. Their empowerment is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Now, these angels are not just walking around on earth. Some of them are flying around. Isaiah 18.10 talks about the Lord rode on a cherub and did fly on the wings of the winds. Isaiah, or pardon me, Revelations 14.16 and 8.13 talks about angels flying in the skies preaching the everlasting gospels. When we are dealing with these battles of the star angels and we are wrestling with them, we have instructions from the rider of the white horse who the Bible says is going forth conquering and to conquer. And those instructions are to prove all things 
to be able to give an answer unto all persons who inquire about God of you or about the Bible of you or about the things of righteousness from you and that we are to study, to study to show, the Bible says, yourself approved a workman, rightly dividing the word, that needeth not to be ashamed. Wow. Well, one of the episodic interludes of Interpose, I want to mesh into this whole teaching today of the Battle of the Angels, is how there is missing from history, basically wiped off the record, things about God, things about the victories, things that describe the glories. There are missing archaeological things that some people would call evidence that is missing. There's missing books from the Bible that the Bible tells us is missing. A good number of them. There are forces out there that are in war. And these forces are out to destroy each other's accomplishments. On the one hand is to destroy the wicked, the wicked maps and the wicked buildings and worship places that have been used in an evil way. On the other hand, the holy places that have been used in a seeking God-righteous way. The opposite forces are wanting to eradicate their existence, wipe them off of the map, make it so no future knowledge is available of them, and make it also so that the, the words of the Bible appear to be fallacious and untrue. There's an interesting scripture in Isaiah 54:16, And I'm going to read this to you. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. I have created the waster to destroy. Now God tells us that he has created both good and evil. And that would be very puzzling to a lot of people. But in understanding free mortal agency and understanding the will and the right of the will of each person, there has to be on the one side that which is profound of offering the way of truth and life. There has to be on the opposite of that, if a person is to have a choice of well, 
that which op- op- offers the very negative aspect of those same things which on the one side are posed as being righteous, but on the other side are posed as just being what is supposed to be, but are evil. Now we have God's word here then saying, he created the smith that bloweth the coals in fire. Here is an important scripture of understanding what that is, a coal, a blacksmith takes a piece of iron and he smashes on it with a heavy hammer. He puts it into a very uh, hot fire and hammers on it more. And he transforms that just piece of metal that is one thing into something else. The Bible says that Satan can be transformed into an angel of light. And his, his angels, his Demons, his devils can do the same thing. And this transformation and transfiguration that goes on in the the battles of the wars between the forces of light and the forces dark are of incredible magnitudes of happening. And so... I have created the smith that blows the coals and fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. We have a scripture that tells about this instrument that will be made, that will grind down the mountains. We know that such an instrument will be used on God's side, but we can imagine without any question that such instruments will also be made on the side of the forces dark, the side of Satan. There is a war that is going on for the minds of humankind and for positioning in the heavenlies of the skies and atmospheres and environments of this earth. This scripture goes on And it says, I have created the waster to destroy. There is a spirit that is prevalent that wants to waste and destroy any works of art that reveal righteous and holy virtue. There is a spirit of the waster and the destroyer that is prevalent to destroy even the works of archaeology. And people are just not wrestling with the Word of God, with the spiritual realm. Because not only will we have to wrestle sometimes with the principalities and forces on the dark side. But we may have to wrestle with the principality and the forces on the, on the side of light. As Moses did, as Elijah did, as Jeremiah did, as the great men of God did, as Jacob did. 
to get them to give you the answers that you need for your ministry and for your understanding. And that is not against the word because we know by these revelations and scriptures I've read to you today that it, number one, is the will of God for you to know these things. And it is a promise of God for you to know them. And so these wasters and destroyers are pretty clear with their works in the Bible. You've got the dragons, the leviathans. They are described not only as being the entities directly of principalities and powers on the dark side. They are described as being nations that were so totally taken over by the forces of worshiping false gods. There was Babylon, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and we could go on with our list. And these nations in particular came into the holy city of Jerusalem and into the the various land of Israel and Judah and they just played havoc. They destroyed those lands and their and their holy shrines. Broke them down, busted them to pieces. The Romans also did that. And did desecrations along with it. Their war wasn't just a war against the people. Get the people out of the way and let's leave all this art and all of this building and as, as museums for the education of the people so that they can see what has gone on in all these different nations. No, that's not what they wanted. They wanted to break down every stone of the temple and burn it with fire. They wanted to destroy the pearl, the silver, the gold that endowed these holy instruments and holy areas of worship. and covered holy furniture and articles wherein there was kept sacred things or upon which there was put sacred things. They wanted to eradicate it. They wanted to wipe it off the record of having ever existed. Egypt. Egypt didn't want any record of the victories of Moses. They didn't want any record of the defeat of, of Pharaoh and his army at the, at the sea, where God took off the wheels of the, his chariots. 
They didn't want that kind of a record. And to a great deal, thus far, in discovery of history, it's only by accident that some historical reference is allowed to be left in its tale of this true story. There's a war, ladies and gentlemen, to eradicate the history of believers in God, of worshipers of God, and to disannul the covenants and the promises of all those people who dare to call themselves Christians. We have in Revelations 8, 10. Turn with me. You have your Bibles. Revelations 8, 10. This interesting, very awesome revelation. In the beginning of the chapter, the, the seventh seal is opened. And there are things happening. In verse 10 of chapter 8 of Revelations, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell into the third part of of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. Now you know that for many, many long years there used to be preachers that really believed that a star from heaven fell down upon the earth into the oceans. But we have to understand this Bible. If we don't understand this Bible, in the parable of its of how it is given, in the the interpretation of how it is given, and we try to understand it by the literal word. Some says, but that's what it says. It says a great star. That may be what it says, and it is what it says, but that is not what it means. So if we try to understand the Bible by the literal definition of the word, then we're going to have the Bible all wrong. You're going to have a star falling down onto the earth, which can never happen. Because any star out there is going to be so many hundreds of times larger than this earth It'd be, it, it, it would be a total lack of ignorance to even have such a supposition. No star is going to fall down on this earth that is a true physical, literal star in the night sky or day sky. <laughs> it's not going to happen because it's not a possibility because it's not what the Bible was saying. 
The Hebrew that comes for the word pesher means that there are secrets and and things to unfold in order to really understand what the word is saying. So sometimes when the Bible, as we've shown you before, uses the term river or waters, it's actually talking about people. When it talks about horns and mountains, it's talking about leaders, principalities, powers. Well, here, chapter 8, verse 10, the third angel sounds and a great star. Now, if this was a literal star, this would be a really big one. Now, our sun is not considered a great star. There are many, many stars up in the night sky that are many, 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 many times larger than our sun. And yet, we could put hundreds and hundreds of our earth inside the sun and wouldn't even scratch the size of the sun. It's just amazing. So, as we begin to come into this understanding, as we begin to see this revelation, it's very important. Now, this star was burning, as it were, a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. Now, we know, according to the 17th chapter of the book of Revelations, and if we're going to talk the the language of the Bible, we're going to talk the language of the Bible, we look at Revelation seventeen fifteen, and it says, And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse saith, are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And you can see in that example, in like Isaiah 8, how that a river represented a whole nation of people and their warriors. That was Isaiah 8, yes. And so here we have whatever this star was burning as a lamp fall into the rivers. Well, this, this star was no doubt an entity. We see in the ninth chapter, of the first verse, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So now we see that a star can be an entity, can be a person. So this is obviously talking about a star that's going to fall from a higher position to this lower position, where there's these rivers of waters, the waters are representing the fallen angels, the one-third of the angels that in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelations was cast by the dragon's tail to earth. And now they are under the Babylonian system, the love of money system, and the love of, of wickedness system. And this light, this burning light, 
is being reflected upon these rivers and and there's different classifications of them rivers and fountains of waters it's being reflected upon them and imposed upon them and they are believing this message they are believing this message from this this star which is an entity and the waters the waters are going to become wormwood we'll take a break Janet Lee at the organ
Well, thank you again, Janet Lee. And so, as we were ministering Revelations 8, verse 10 through 11, this angel, which is the star, which is the entity, has come down and has affected a third part of the rivers upon the fountains of the water. And this third, of course, is very, very important because it refers to the one-third of the angels that were cast down to earth. There were three groups of angels, of course, as we teach, that came to this galaxy to create the seraphim, the cherubim, and the ophanim. The ophans, or ophanim, depicted in Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10, called wheels, which means ophan or ophanim. These names can be found uh, in many other uh, historical things uh, that, that were written along the same time that some of the Bible was written. But you can find that part of it in the Bible and verified in other aspect scriptures of the Bible. And so this burning lamp, this intense burning, has affected the people. Because the name of this star, the name of the of the the work or the ministry of this star, which is not a a righteous ministry but an evil ministry, um, is to affect these third part of the waters, and you can see that they're successful because it says, and the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, this thing, wormwood, you know, is, is known. There are, there are wormwood shrubs and bushes and other kinds of plants that uh, are alluded to be of the wormwood family. And uh, what they produce is an extremely bitter substance that is sometimes used in food, sometimes used in medicine. But the point of this revelation here is this bitterness is what the purpose of Wormwood was about. The purpose of this star was to imbue, or maybe the word imbue is not the best one to use, was to inject into these people this bitterness of wormwood. And you can see this bitterness all over the world today. The bitterness that people have for each other, the bitterness that nations have for each other, the bitterness that that infidels and, and atheists have for, for, for Christianity, and the bitterness that Christianity has for each other. There is a spirit of bitterness that possesses 
the whole planet. And there are people that have died from this. They have lost their salvation because of the bitterness that possesses them. They've died from this. They've lost their salvation. This bitterness is no simple thing. And we see we have this, this star, Wormwood. As we mentioned it to you in, in, in Revelations 8, 10 through 11, and then we also mentioned how that in, verse, in chapter 9, we have this star that comes down and it has the key to the bottomless pit. And we, we find out that in the end, this star actually belongs to the forces dark. Because it says in verse 11, and they had a king over them, which is, the, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. Well, even the word Abaddon does carry the meaning of destroyer. And so we have these stars that are represented in these two scriptures that I'm giving you. And there is more, but that's enough for now. And they represent this battle of the star angels. Now, on the, the good side, we could look at Revelations 10.1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head and his face as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. The sun is a star. Now we have this angel in a star ministry, and he has in his hand a little book opened, and he sets his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth, and he cries with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. So here we have this incredible revelation of the little book and of the seven thunders. So we see that on the one side, we have the star ministry of the seven thunders and the little book revelation. On the other side, we have this blasting furnace of transformation that appears to be something brilliant and of, of, of an, and of enlightenment, but instead is a wormwood of bitterness that just like the tares in the book of Matthew is being implanted into the people's mind, into their emotions, into their thinking, and you have people turning against each other. You have bitterness. You've got bitterness to the point of hate. It's in the pulpits. It's on the, the news media. It's possessing great volumes of rhetoric being spelled out daily on this planet Earth. 
Well, there is a good star. Revelations 10, 1 through 2. Turn to Revelations chapter 3. Revelations 3. And unto the angel, verse 1, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Wow. Now let's look at Revelations chapter chapter 1. Revelations chapter 1. Verse 16. And he had in his, had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a, a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in its strength. Now we see the cooperation of that scripture and Revelations 10 of the sun and yet the star, the seven stars. Verse 20 of chapter 1, middle of the verse, the seven stars are the angels, are the angels of the seven churches. So now we see that we've got these stars that are angels, which is what this subject is called, the battle, the battle of the star angels. We've got the star angels on, on the side of Satan. We've got the star angels on the side uh, of Christ. And let's look at Revelations nineteen seventeen. Revelations nineteen seventeen, and this is what it says. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, the sun is a star, cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So here we see again the angel standing in the sun, the, the angel of the star. And this battle that is taking place Now, this is a thought. This is a thought. If you could just understand how important the preservation of the Bible is, how important the preservation of some of our rights are that have to do with freedom of speech, freedom of religion, how important those are. And how the spirit of bitterness is out there to destroy that. And there is this battle going on between the stars of light and the stars of darkness. The stars of righteousness and the stars of evil. And we know that, that there are many missing things from the archaeological record but I'm going to talk about that in more detail in a little bit. But 
understand this. There, I gave you the scripture in Isaiah fifty four sixteen, how that there is a a transformer, a waster, a destroyer, that is that has been allowed, been given the been given the privilege, if he can get away with it, if people will it, to destroy the information of the records of the history of the Bible of the good works of God and I want to say that these forces and principalities which are in the heavenlies as well as on earth plot together and they figure ways how to destroy any building or any kind of archaeology or any kind of signs that are positive toward the belief in Jesus Christ and the belief of the, the ministry that, that preceded Christ of the prophets and of the men of God of the Old Testament as well as the New. And if one would look deep, and I won't have the time in this particular uh, session of this last teaching of the analog with angels, but if a person could look deep into the Word, no doubt you would find the plot where this destroyer, either working through the evil minds of evil leaders, whether it be the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Romans, and the maze of other nations, or whether it just be the naked raw force of evil spirits, the whisperers of Satan, going forth with their energy and power to absolutely dematerialize any records that would, that would prove or that would verify the Bible. Now we know that this act of preservation is very serious. For we know that when the ark of the flood was landed on a mountain, God allowed it to land in such a way that it would be covered with ice for centuries so that it was preserved and no evil force was allowed to get to it. And I don't doubt but what someday that, that that's going to be a revelation of that, that ark of, the, of Noah. I know people say, no, it'll be petrified stone. Oh, that's all right. Stones can talk. But there'll be a record. We know that the Bible says that the ark of the covenant and the tree of life were moved to the Father's house. 
We've given you scriptures on that. We realize that the even the city of Jerusalem has been become so polluted with religious strife, with the spirit of bitterness and hate of people that want it for their own kind of viewpoints and are willing to kill anybody else that's wanting it for their viewpoints. The spirit of bitterness of the star wormwood is prevalent. That's why God has just bypassed over the, the, the literal physical city of Jerusalem at this point and has said there's a new Jerusalem coming. But it's not coming from, from this old location. There's missing evidence here. There's missing records here. There's miss, missing peace and joy here. There's missing Christianity here. There's missing the love of God here. But this new Jerusalem's coming down from out of heaven. It's coming down from where it was manufactured as a planetome to descend, made in the Father's house in heaven. So the angels are involved in this war. The angels had to have taken that Ark of the Covenant. And the, and the Bible says it was, it was seen in heaven. They had, this, they had to take that tree of life and move it. There's, there's scripture for this. And Jerusalem and all of these things that have been preserved definitely have to do with this tremendous revelation of the war between the angelic groups, the battle of the star angels on the one side that are the angels of light and on the other side that are the angels of darkness. So, there is a war for the preservation of these things. Wow. They were, they're important. They were important then, and they're important now. This battle of the star angels regard, regards also the interpretation of the Bible, called the Pesher, P-E-S-H-E-R. Now, what is this about? It's about understanding the language of the Bible. If a person doesn't understand the language of the Bible, then you read it and you're applying some kind of, of, of grammatical interpretation or some kind of etymology that is based on definitions of just the word. Well, the Bible tells us that the word without the spirit is like the body without the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives the Word life. And if it doesn't have the Spirit, it doesn't have life, which means it doesn't have spiritual uh, interpretation so that you can know what the Word really means. It's like the parables that Jesus taught. Those parables didn't always mean, a, a net didn't mean a net. Various things that Jesus would say in parables had particular meanings that had to be interpreted. A field could represent the world. 
a harvest represented the salvaging time and the redemption time of certain groups of humanity and on and on. So the language of the Bible is absolutely, utterly important. There are spiritual meanings of the Bible. There are dimensions of the Bible. And there is always the consideration of the scale of balance between the love that is being issued from the star angels of light as versus the wrath and hate that is being issued from the star angels of darkness. The physical, literal meanings of the Bible, when interpreted as Pesher, P-E-S-H-E-R, are not necessarily of the nature that the the Hebrew root when unfolded as to what the Hebrew tongue was speaking is necessarily even related or uh, to the to the utterance that you've unfolded by doing all the research on the root. Sometimes incredible messages are implied in the Bible. And that implying is an, a, an important thing of revelation. Sometimes things are encoded in the Bible, put in parable, or can only be understood in a sense of reflective inspection or in reflective revelation. See, there are words that do not carry the hundredfold of the message, nor the sixty, nor the thirtyfold of the message, but are only, get this and listen to this, but are only connective words of grammar for language bridging. I know that in music, like on the piano, you would go from a G to a C, and C and G belonged to the harmony chord, but the A and the B in between did not. But sometimes the bridge of the melody would include playing the A and the B, so that you go from, you go G, A, B, C, so the G and the C is gotten to by that bridging of the A and B. And language is the same way. There are words that are just meant for bridging. And, and castles should not be built on those words. But their bridges are important, yes, for the connection. And as in the importance of, of a connection... That goes along with, you know, every word spoken by the mouth of God is purposeful and sacred. Now, as we begin to hear this, think of this, we have to look at some important 
things about what's going on. There's been a lot of scientific evaluation of biblical things as to archaeological, as to history, as to paleontology, and all kinds of other applications of the sciences and the disciplines. Now, we want to get some of the, some things down here. This is really important. We want you to understand that there is a wall out there being built of physics and their principles that are turned into equations and formulas which are being used as a survey for the validity of scientific knowledge. And that's all interesting. But I want to tell you right now that the way it is with science is it is only approximate and tentative. It is still in a position of being refutable. It does not gather the exact absolute or final statement. Are you hearing me? You take the scientist Bohr. He started getting all kinds of revelation about atoms. But at the time that he got those revelations, they did not have the electric telescope or microscope. They did not have the electric microscope. So they could not see the atoms in the way that later, with all of the different uh, electronic microscopes and with all the different kind of machines that could smash the atoms, they didn't have ability to, to see that either on, on um, grafted, uh, graft paper or, or, or um, printouts or any kind of, of extreme magnification. They didn't have it. So he had to make his supposition and his theory based on having never seen those particles and subatomic particles. And I don't know this, but I know there are several scientists that are saying that they got a lot of their ideas through dreams. Perhaps Bohr had some dreams. I wouldn't doubt that. The God mind that's the, that is a universal mind is full of the facts and the truth. And people sometimes can pick that up. But imagine what things could be like without advanced, yet uncreated instruments of discovery. Think of in the medical world, think in the various disciplines of the scientific world, that if you didn't have the advanced instrumentation that we have today, 
you wouldn't be able to to prove some of these things about disease, some of these things about astronomy, etc., etc. And think of how much there is today that is not known because we have not yet come into the creation of these super instrumentations that are going to allow new advanced thinking beyond anything that is prevalent in today's world of sciences. So if anybody comes to you and says to you, look, the Bible is just full of errors and, and, uh, and it's made a lot of statements that are not historically uh, evident or true, you, do, you don't listen to that. Just listen to this message first. When I'm done with this message, you'll see something. Now, I said earlier that a lot of scientific a lot of scientific evaluation fails to be identical to all respects of the facts. Well, let's just try to make a parable here to help help you understand that. Let's talk about apples, and let's say. Someone would say, okay, well, this is an apple. All apples are apples. Well, all apples may or may not be apples. It depends what you are qualifying that apple to be. And let's say that you have a box of apples. And let's say it's just, it's, it's, one brand of a- apples. And so you say, these are all the same. These are apples. This is, these are all the delicious family group of apples. They're all the same. And, and that's a fact. Well, that isn't necessarily a fact. Because apples are not all of the same quantity of substance. They are different sizes. Sometimes their colors even differ, which of course affects their looks. Sometimes their taste is slightly different because the weight is different and all those things go together to make a difference from one apple to another. So you can't just look at a box of apples and say these are all exactly the same thing because in one sense, you could be considered right. But in another sense, you could be be considered not right because if you started getting more precise, you would see that there are differences of those apples in the box. And it can have to do with weight, looks, taste, and color. Well, the Bible is like that. There are references, there are deep-rooted words of divine essence. And you can look at a scripture and just say, well, this is just another scripture and it means this, and just put it into the box But we were taught in the Old Testament 
that you, you weighed everything that you used in the ministry of God. You weighed the silver that you used. You weighed the gold that you used. You weighed all these different things because there was a factor of differentiation. And you were to know that factor so that when you created this sacred uh, instrument, that it would have the precision of its measure and of its weight. Because that was the thing that God wanted, to show you the exactness. And it goes along the, the, the line with our teaching on paradise, where we, we showed that that was a, you know, a, a manifold word. It was a compound word. And that the word dice had in, into it the very aspect of something very similar to the Purim and the Urim and the Thummim. Now the Urim and the Thummim has an interpreted meaning of perfection of lights. So you have here lights. And someone might say, well, that's talking about the enlightenment type of lights. Okay. But nevertheless, whether you apply it on that level or on a different level, let's say first you apply it on a light that has to do with the stars. Someone say, oh, you know, they're all the same. You know, the stars, you know, are shining. All the stars are shining. They're all the same. Oh, no, they're not. Paul said one star differeth from another in heaven. They're all different. They're different sizes. They're different mass. They're different material. And although they can all be called stars, they're not the same. All those apples can all be called apples. They're not the same. This word of God, one scripture to another scripture, can all be called scriptures, but they're not the same. There are differences. And those differences are really, really important to understand. And as you begin to get into this revelation of the measurement of the sacred items and the substances that, that were made a part of them and their measurements, you see that that is a plan of God. So, yeah, it's okay to have hypothetical knowledge, which is nothing much more than an estimate. You have to start somewhere. But in the Holy Manifest, the Holy Manifest uses reflective evaluation and does reflective evaluation even of the theories of scientific of scientific information. And is a progenerator of manifested historical scientific knowledge from hidden verses in the Bible and hidden words in the Bible and even hidden letters in the Bible. So, the so-called expert Topics, the view of physics and its concept of being able to have the perceived facts is just not the case. Physics consists of a loose collection of perceived 
ideas. And there are discrepancies to their solutions. And that is just an absolute fact. Now, the manifest reveal is an evaluation of old and present sciences and an expounder of new science based on biblical reflective thinking, like manifest or realization insight. So, neither the dogmatic extremes of religion or sciences have ever achieved unquestionable proofs of their proposition in portraying the facts of the world. Yeah, rules and formulas for confirming theories go on all the time. But sooner or later, it seems, in the history of sciences and math and the disciplines, the rules that were set out and the formulas that were set out, there comes to, there comes to be exceptions. And this is an ever-increasing, occurring phenomena. Often a new discovery in science changes the whole general conclusion of a long-time accepted theory and idea of science. And that's happening right now. It's been happening over the last several years. Some of the old deep-seated idioms and ideas of science, that they were sure that this was the way it was, have all changed because of new discoveries. So, this reflective kind of thinking is dimensional. Parables sometimes have multiple dimension. You've got to be able to reflectively translate that as to what those different dimensions mean. You can't just say, well, they're all the same. They're, they're all just this one thing. They're all apples. No, they're not. There's a difference. I mean, there are people who have religiously put knowledge and, and their ideas of what that knowledge is for defining the limits of God's laws. But most of the time, ladies and gentlemen, that just doesn't work. Now, We want to talk about something here. We want to talk about different things. National Geographic archaeologist Sarah Parquet says that less than 1%, now I want you to hang on to this, I want you to get it. I want you to get it. Less than 1% of ancient Egyptian Egypt has been discovered and excavated. How many people would believe that or think that? This, this is a, a famous, well-received 
deeply educated archaeologist who is very advanced. In fact, she is um, has moved into um, the kind of archaeology that additionally uh, makes interpretations from space satellite telescopes that take close-up pictures of the Earth terrain. And she's been able to make discoveries there, as well as some other archaeologists have, just from the pictures that they see through these space telescopes. But she says, let me repeat, less than 1%, now think of 100%, now think of only less than 1% of the 100%, of Egyptian Egypt has been discovered and excavated. You would think by this time that, oh, they've found out everything that they can find. No. Less than 1%. Less. And so when they start talking about the Bible's infallibility and inerrancy, from the people who are believers, and then they are looked down as though they are some kind of ignorant pall of mud, we need to leave people alone because the proof is not in. The proof is not in. 99%, 99% of human history and universe history on Earth's land mass and oceans and seas or the spaces of the cosmos is not written nor discovered. And that applies to astronomy, archaeology, hist history, and the general disciplines like mathematics and biology. At the most in some of these projections. And top scientists have said this about the cosmos. Because of dark energy, because of, of all these new discoveries, they say, at the best, they only have 5% knowledge of the universe. So, excavation-wise, archaeology-wise, history-wise, whether on the oceans, the land, or space, there is only the smallest percent that has been discovered, and sometimes after it's discovered, it takes years to put it into a place where it can be understood, if then. So how can any scientist, archaeologist, by looking at one or two or three or four or ten dozen pieces that still only represent 1% of what is out there. Think that by that small a piece, which is just basically nanotechnology of such a limit that it's not enough to make or manufacture anything, expect to be able to give some kind of absolute definition and proof 
that the Bible is wrong on some of its statements as to history, to time and place. When all of these science, sciences are there themselves subjected to their own errancy and fallibility. And they are all based in literalism because they do not have reflective spiritual dimension. They're not involved in the hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. They challenge the the teaching of creation and the flood because they are interpreting what the Bible says based on the, the human word aspect of the Hebrew tongue transliterated and its meaning without understanding the relevance of reflective interpretation which reflects the spiritual meaning of that literal exercise of actual words. They have brought the Bible and the challenges against it to a seemingly irreconcilable and diametrical difference of Bible interpretation views. And there are preachers out there that are buying the story. They're buying what these scientist groups are saying. And they're beginning to believe that the Bible is fallible. I'm not saying there's not some scribal error in, 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 in these translations. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that the general word, when properly translated, is of the nature that there is no comparison anywhere on earth of its divine purpose. The teaching of the creation of the flood has a lot of variances, but they don't know, like the manifest revelation, of how the ark was built on a mountain and the difference that that made. And their challenge of of the days of creation as being totally not scientific nor historical. They don't know what the Bible is really saying about that. Their mention of all these pre-Adamic people. And how that the Bible doesn't have anything about that and doesn't have anything about the dinosaurs. And that is all incorrect because the Bible does tell about the dinosaurs. It calls them dragons and other kinds of, of, of names are used. And it does tell about the, the pre-Adamic man. But they call them rivers. So when they interpret these things based on their viewpoints... that have to do with trying to, to define a, a word 
that's been transliterated from Greek or, or Hebrew or, or the Chaldee, what are they what are they saying? What are they saying? It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. So there's been an intellectual revolution intent to destroy the story of Genesis. There's been the prompting of of decisive direction that Genesis 1 through 11 is just a schematic theological but mythological history. And ladies and gentlemen, they are just wrong. They are just absolutely incorrect. And that is so sad. And I tell you what, this manifest revelation, we're out here to challenge these scientists. You know, one of the reasons that I got myself into the science, the math, and the physics and all this thing, and that I got myself into, you know, uh, you know, some of these other things like the different uh, ministries that had doctorate degrees. The reason I decided to do this is so that I could have the word of understanding, not only from the spiritual side, but from the literal side of the educational aspect, so I could not have these people put the wool over my eyes because I was just never prompted with that kind of insight. So that I could stand up and say, here's what the Bible says, here's what thus saith the Lord God says. And this is what I believe. I'm not going to have someone tell me, look, this is proven by math. Proven by math? You can't prove anything by math. That's only temporary. Right now, they had the, did all the math, which is one of the complicated type of maths. There is a string math. And they came up that you needed 11 dimensions to be able to make this string math thing work. And all oh, they had it figured out, and it was wonderful. And then they found other problems, and they ended up going to this multiple universe. And the 11 dimensions sort of slid under the carpet. It's still there, but it's not got the prominence. Because all that work on all that math doesn't mean a thing if you figured out how something might work if it was that way, but that's not the way it is, then you've got nothing. But when you can find out how something works based on the Word of God, based on the reflective insight, based on the spiritual insight, based on the evidence and witness of the Holy Spirit of God, then you are on the trail of glory. 
There's so many things. So many things. You know, I, I've seen all kinds of, of, of things where they would say, well, this was quoted in this book and something different was quoted in another book. You know what the beauty of the Bible is? I, I think this is really beautiful. You've got people that write books and they try to make it using physical things, using sensual things. They try to make it sound all good and righteous and whole. And when you do that, you totally mislead people. They don't see the different spectrums of the, of the rainbow. They just see one thing. But when you do it like the Bible allowed it to be, showing that people are walking in between these two mountains that Moses had his people walk through. On one side was a group of readers that were reading the, the curses. On the other side was a group of readers that were reading the blessings. Because this is the era since the Garden of Eden of the, of the era of the tree of good and evil. These two, this two-sided aspect is here today in this battle of the stars. The stars of light and the stars of darkness. The stars of darkness and the stars of light. This battle is going on for the minds of men. And this spirit of bitterness is a tool that has been used in this star uh, revelation of wormwood. It is bitterness. And the world is, is peppered and salted with this bitterness. And people are losing their religiosity, their salvation, their Christianity over it because they are so bitter. But God is moving by his spirit, moving in all the earth. Blessed be the name of our Father which art in heaven. Well, coming to the close, I didn't by any means finish this message. But when we start the next teaching, we may start it under the title of Wicked Archaeology, in which we will show that there's been discoveries of some really paganistic archaeological things that were right in the temple, the house of God. And people said, see, the Jews believe this. <laughs> The people that were backslidden, the people that had fallen away from God, the people that were worshiping other, other gods, yeah, they believed it. Just like Ezekiel discovered all those, those lead people that were worshiping other gods in, in secret sessions. But that didn't mean that that was the theme of the revelation that God had given to his people. It just meant that they had brought in bitterness, strife, envy, differentiations. You can't go back and just because something is old think that it's more advanced than something that is not old. Or because something is old then that must prove certain things. You're only dealing with 1% of the revelation. You're only dealing with less than 5%. Well, 
ladies and gentlemen, I'm only go I'm going to have to just send you a, a mail so that you can know what's going to happen. Because we're waiting on the Lord to see just how we're going to do this transition into the new year. If you are not on our mailing list, please write me at lowcase, Lee, L-E-E, dot Jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, dot O, at gmail.com. I'll repeat again. Lee dot Jerry dot O at gmail.com and say, I want to be on the mailing list because that way you're going to be updated. We're still waiting for funds to come in. We're still waiting, you know, for what's going to help back these expenses, but we're not going to let that stop us. We're going to go on. We're going to do this, getting these books out because more than ever, these books need to be out for people to read. There are great healings with the Gentile happening right now. Wish I had time to talk about them. We're going to do this trip into space. That's probably going to not happen until January. Be patient. Stand behind us in prayer. God bless you. We love you. Until next time.